0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Overtime Leader podcast. I am your host, Jillian Davis, author of First Time Leader, founder of Overtime Leader, where we help leadership teams of fast growing companies to navigate the uncertainty of the unknown that comes with building tech. And now everybody is navigating the unknown um, brought on by coronavirus. And it's been a really interesting few months, and it's been fantastic to be able to. Um, put forward a lot of the tools and knowledge and insights that we've had working in tech to those that are now just struggling to deal with living in uncertainty and not being um, clear on what our next steps are and what we should do. And anyways, it's been a very interesting few months for me, as I'm sure it has been for all of you. Um, And if you want to talk about navigating uncertainty, I'm always happy to um, share some of the insights I've gained through my work. Today's episode, I talk to two of the authors of The Curious Advantage, um, a book that came out in June, extremely timely. Um, I have on Garrick Jones and Paul Ashcroft. I thought it was important to bring them on in this time because although it might feel a little bit overwhelming right now to think about being curious, it is an essential skill of navigating the unknown. Um, and we want everybody to have this kind of curiosity mindset because we don't know what we don't know. And one thing is for sure, nobody has the answers on how to navigate, how to thrive, how to succeed in this environment because none of us have experienced this ever. We might have experienced versions of it. We might have um, an idea of what we think we should do, but Nobody has the playbook. Nobody has the answers. So it's important for all of us to recognize this, um, to one, not feel that you need to have the answer to help your team um, through this period, but actually for you to take on this kind of curious mindset um, and also encourage that within your team. Um, talking through their book um, in this episode, I notice how much similarities, kind of the curious advantage mindset that um, Paul and Garrick talk about is really similar to, or this just seems to be a lot of parallels to coaching approach, where you know you default into just asking instead of telling and the richness that comes from taking that approach, uh, especially with your team members because you end up learning so much. So I do hope you enjoy this conversation. I really think it's essential um, in these times of um, unknowns. To think about how you can be a little bit more curious in your day-to-day role. And maybe you are um, taking on unintentionally the role of feeling like you need to have the answers and you need to come up with all the plans. And what would that look like if you shifted that away and actually collaborated with your teams, um, asking even your peers, your stakeholders, your boss, what they thought, just being curious about everything. So enjoy this podcast
1: it's paul ashcroft here. garrick and i are co-founders of a company called the ludic group and the Ludic group is an organization that works with both uh, multinational organizations around the world on helping them digitize their programs around strategy how they engage their people in their transformation and also in learning but at the same time we're working with smaller medium-sized organizations helping them make the shift to digital. So where in the past they've been delivering face-to-face, they're working with us on helping to turn their programs and their work virtual.
2: And We've got quite an interesting story. Uh, we used to work together, I mean, we've been going for about 18 years now at Ludic, but we used to work together in various consulting firms and banks and so on. And Paul and I were friends back then. And um, we got involved in very large-scale decision-making um, all over the world. Um, using very sort of state-of-the-art tools at the time, uh, which involved <laughs> flying people, uh, lots of people at great expense all over the world to do stuff. Uh, and when we started Ludic, we were doing pretty much the same thing, providing those kinds of services. And about 10 years ago, Paul and I came to the conclusion that that was uh, not a sustainable business. And we thought, well, if you can't fly people all over the world and we don't want to do that, how can we create a business that achieves everything we achieved by getting people together using those tools and those techniques? How can we do that online? And so we started down this journey of um, creating a platform where we achieve um, more and more and more online. By the time we got to about three years ago, we were achieving, we think, better results than we'd achieved when we got people together in a large room uh, and, of course, now that we're in a distributed situation with the coronavirus and so on, um, we're finding that people are really able to use our tool to get lots of decision-making and, and execution and take very large groups through processes, if you like, or journeys to get stuff done. And that's sort of been at the heart of, of how Ludic itself has developed which and evolved, which is all about um, that shift from... Um, the physical to digital and understanding how digital can really improve our lives.
0: That's amazing and very, very timely considering what's what's happened. And so talk to me about where does curiosity come up in all of this? How, how did that come to be?
2: Curiosity started really as out of conversations that we had with many of our clients, particular one of our clients, um, Simon Brown, who's uh, now also a very good friend and co-author of the book, The Curious Advantage. Simon is the head of global learning at at Novartis, and we were tackling with him the question of complexity and digital and what the future of learning was and is. And part of that was our understanding of evolution and complexity science and understanding that, you know, in all kinds of um, complex situations, if you want knowledge to evolve just as it does in sort of mammalian and at the animal or biophysical world, you need three things. You need diversity, you need recombination, and you need selection under pressure, which kind of leads to evolution. And we've worked a long time with um, uh, friends of ours from MIT and Harvard and complexity science, the Santa Fe Institute, on on understanding how these things can be enabled, um, whether it's through think tanks or decision-making and so on. And um, those conversations about what's going on, how do we meet this kind of complex challenge and what is the organization of the future um, with these principles in place or these values led us to the value of curiosity. And Simon in particular um, has really led the charge in his organization, creating a ecosystem that enables people to be curious and at the same time trying to understand and measure what the value of curiosity is in a business context And of course, as we researched that more and more, we started to understand the value of curiosity in history at the society level, also at the individual and personal level. And that was the basis um, for the book. And we embarked on a curious adventure ourselves to kind of start understanding curiosity from a very wide range, multidisciplinary approach. And um, out of that emerged uh, a a very nice story about our model. We, We got to sort of five large variables that we wanted to consider uh, and then got to seven um, and five of those began with the letter c Mm -hmm. uh, things like context and um, community then when we were working we were playing with that we decided and realized that we could develop a model that where we had seven c's and when we talked about the seven c's of curiosity we suddenly realized it played into the everything we'd been learning about navigating complexity and navigating mm. um, and uh, working your way through the labyrinth of information we we're all faced with in the digital age. And that led us to the metaphor of sailing the seven seas, which was a very nice mm. outcome. So uh, it was a fun journey.
0: That's lovely. It's, it's great to kind of hear the the backstory because so much goes into, I think so much is uncovered when we start exploring putting these um, books together that we didn't even expect to, to know in that process. And why is curiosity so important right now?
1: I think our answer to that is curiosity has always been important. It's, it's the fundamental part of being human. But right now, um, there's such a shift in our society, in the way we work, the way we live, the way we learn, um, that it seems like uh, everything about um about being human is in some way changing and what we think is that curiosity is our way of navigating through this because Mm. curiosity is the process by which we learn we evolve as a species and as individuals and that we within our family or within our friends in our community help evolve And then
2: to build on what Paul's saying, curiosity is important in the business world at the moment because having been faced with this massive, huge transformation in society and in work and life, as Paul was saying, um, the digital age is bringing all kinds of um, change that we need to be aware of. For example, we have to look beyond our our context. We have to look outside of what we are used to because uh, the way that things have been done in the past cannot be done because the context has shifted and so if we want to survive we have to find new ways of doing things within this this new uh environment yeah it's the same for example we've got ai and bots who are doing more and more of the admin stuff and more and more of the drudge work in um in work and that leaves us to ask well what enables uh competitive advantage for organizations and the thing that ultimately enables competitive advantage for organizations has to be the diversity within those organizations and the way that new ideas are coming in recombination and, and selection which leads to rapid evolution within those organizations and for us curiosity is the best way for to enable people to focus on new things in the past it used to be called innovation or it might have been called collaboration and constructivism. you know, There were various fads, process, transformation, and so on. The thing about curiosity is it allows everybody to be working in a way that is asking questions about what can we do, what can we learn, where can we go that we haven't been before. And with the um, new world of AI and and bots doing all the drudge work, as I said, we think that people will be more and more focused on needing to be curious and bringing new ideas into their organizations
0: what was interesting reading through the book was curiosity isn't just about asking a load of questions and generating all this new information it's really about taking that information and turning it to action and that was definitely um i'd say something that i came out of that of the book going like okay that was like noted (laughs) um how what were some of the biggest um breakthroughs and learnings that you guys had in that experience around curiosity
1: when we were telling people oh we're writing a book about curiosity nine times out of ten the answer was oh doesn't curiosity kill the cat and (laughs) and 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 maybe it did but um you know when you you look back at curiosity is it's been encouraged and discouraged through the years and this is perhaps where this has come from that curiosity is a bad thing I think one of the things that certainly I took away is that curiosity is a skill that can be learned and can be improved on. Many people, when you speak to them about curiosity, they see it as wondering and they stop at I wonder if, I mm. wonder why. And rather, as you say, Gillian, putting that, that wonder into action. And I think that's one of my big takeaways from the research on the book is that curiosity fundamentally is about putting wonder into action.
0: I like that. Garrick, how about you?
2: Well, I definitely had an aha moment, um, and it was about um, when we came to an understanding about the need for critical thinking and um, being aware of our biases and unconscious bias in particular, I hadn't really connected those things to um, curiosity and started to realize that if you want to be curious, um, true curiosity is about Putting yourself sometimes into situations where you may be uncomfortable. And when your body and your emotions are telling you you're uncomfortable, that's often because you're learning something. Mm-hmm. And the thing about critical bias is um, often, uh, if certainly unconscious bias, um, there are many, many, many biases. And, and there's a fantastic thing called the um, Unconscious Bias Codex, which we refer to in the book, and which um, Buster Benson put together, which I really. Um, recommend people Google and and look for because it's got about 181 different definitions of bias and they're very neatly ordered. But the the thing for me, my aha, was that now at this point in history where we're faced with all this information and all the issues of truth and what is truth and fake news and what isn't, um, how do you have tools to deal with that? Number one, I put the need, uh, I put learning about bias and unconscious bias into any new MBA program without any doubt. Mm-hmm. And the other part of that uh, about unconscious bias and, and critical thinking was learning um, not to find theories and then confirm those theories by going down a rabbit hole, You know, following the things that seem to make sense to you on your own, or come from a place where you feel comfortable, or indeed just following things that give you pleasure. Um, that's not being curious. That's not learning. Um, that's not... Going out of um, what you know and your and your, um, your your safety zone, if you like, and um, unconscious bias and critical thinking, I think, was something that really gave me an, an aha moment in in terms of how I structure my own research or, or even my own my being in the world.
0: I think that's really telling because we can often just kind of look for things that validate what we're thinking, especially in times and environments of extreme uncertainty, we kind of just want that security and validation that we're right. But I, I, will, I say the same thing to those that I work with. When you start feeling those fears of, you know, like jitters or shortness of breath or like the, the common feelings that we get when we're anxious, it's not the sign that you should step back. It's actually the sign that you should step forward because that's where the growth mm-hmm. happens and the stretch happens. And in terms of thinking about, people listening who are in a managerial role and want to stretch, how important is it for them to adopt this, like, being a curious leader?
2: Well, I think curious leadership is a fascinating topic, mainly because the digital age has ushered in a completely different context for leaders. So a lot of where people were taught as leaders, to be top-down managers, to maybe ask people to present them with ideas, and then they become the single decision-maker. All the kinds of leadership tropes (laughs) that have been taught at leadership school and MBAs and, you know, university for a long time, I have to say, are frankly no longer um, valid, (laughs) nor do they have a place. And the reason for that is what we call the pyramid shift. Um, The pyramid shift is that having moved from a pyramid structure of organizations which um, we show in the book, goes all the way back to Alexander the Great and how he organized the Persians and so on after um, he conquered them to to really organize society and, and military as well. I mean, those things lasted all the way through, you could say, post-war into the 1990s, but they have completely fallen apart because of the cloud. And the pyramid has shifted into an enormous cloud where a leader has access to as much information as to anybody, no matter where they may be in an organization. Not only access to information, but also access to influence. Because everybody has so much information coming through their emails and their desktops and the people and the different channels they're connected to, that how then does a leader influence? How then does a leader ensure that a group of people they're working with or are achieving the kinds of things that they're all trying to achieve? And that can't be done by command and control anymore. It's just, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So there are new tools. There are new skills that are needed by new la- leaders in this new context. And they include things like understanding your shadow, um, your leadership shadow, understanding your influence, nudging, um, using media to influence and also to creating movements so that people flock to your flag in that way. Um, and these are, new, these are new skills that are required. You need to be able to read information and data that's happening within the networks that you're working with, as well as live data from the systems you're trying to influence. And you need to be able to turn that in a way that is able to en- enable that enormous cloud of connected people to get things done and achieve things that are different
1: from everybody else. Mm. And I think I would carry add to that, that from, the individual's perspective, people that are working for managers and these leaders, is that people want to work for leaders who encourage them to be curious and to keep learning. Um, roles are changing so fast at the moment that if uh, people aren't reskilling or are encouraged to learn, and by learning, uh, whether that's on the job or doing a course, giving them the opportunity to uh, fail, to try things, to get it wrong, to, um, to explore then not only does the organization become irrelevant, perhaps, but even the people that are working for that organization or for that leader start to feel that their skills are outdated and that they are no longer relevant. So it becomes a vital circle for the leaders to role model curiosity, for the managers to role model curiosity, and for the people working within those organizations to embed being curious into their work. Microsoft is a really good example of a company that turned itself around through curiosity. I mean, obviously um, an incredible company for decades, but around 10 years ago, sort of what lost their way um, in, you know, are they uh, uh, doing software? Are they doing computers? You know, what's really their their thing? And when Satya Nadella came in, he really focused on turning around the culture within Microsoft by focusing them to get back to being a curious, exploratory um, organization and well we've really seen how they've turned their ship around and are now frankly flying and 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 competing back at the the top of their game
0: so i'm curious to know because in my experience and i agree with everything you've said about the the you know future of leadership there's no space for traditional command and control that was built off of military um systems and ways of organizing and made a lot of sense but it doesn't make a lot of sense anymore and we've, we will struggle to get more experienced leaders to let go of those styles because it's been so ingrained in them over years and years and years of like corporate training. How do you help someone make that shift? Because it is, it's not gonna be an overnight thing, but how do you get them to start recognizing that command and control or that kind of more traditional style isn't landing, the next generation is not having it, they're gonna move on. Um, because we've noticed that we only usually get involved when things have gone really bad and it would be great if we were just like come
1: mm.
0: in uh, earlier and wouldn't have to you know deal with that. Have, have you seen anything that works yeah. or, or an approach? I'd love to hear yeah. that.
2: Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, this is a nice question. Part of our experience, uh, certainly, working with leaders who are having to face these changes and do that um is that you you can't ask people to do something that they haven't seen before mm-hmm. or haven't experienced and experience is everything so <laughs> connecting um leaders with younger people even and anybody who's experienced online and allowing them to start pick up the language and start to understand is one thing but two uh, things that paul and i have been working on for years one is something we call media-based transformation and the other is what we call collaborative authoring and these two um, really play into how you enable people to make the change for themselves so for example um, collaborative authoring is a is a powerful tool where we build something together, as you can tell, when we talk about curiosity, we talk about making a lot and, and and constructing and having a go and and really trying to build something. And collaborative authoring, say of a book or of a documentary or something together in a team, requires you to do a number of things simultaneously, and it sort of really works on our brain in a multi-dimensional way. Um, things like uh, research, things like um, testing that research, things like interviewing other people, things like putting that research into order, things like reflecting. Um, These are all the bases of how we transform ourselves anyway. And so we find collaborative authoring is a really powerful tool for synthesizing and enabling um, leaders to kind of figure out where they're going and and how that's different from what they've experienced previously. Media-based transformation, we've always felt when we have a whole media unit in, at Ludic, um, which makes films and documentaries and music and all kinds of, kinds of things, production house. Because when we're online, a lot of what we're creating are media assets. Um, but the key thing, and one of the differences that we work with is that we believe that if we collaborate together on making media, so it's a collaborative effort, it's not just a bunch of externals making a film and going away, but you actually give the tools and um, you you allow CEOs uh, and and managers to actually make the films themselves and you put experienced people around them so that they create professional product, that process of of production requires people to kind of figure out what it is they want to say and how they want to say it, and again, how they want to be represented online and in the world. And it's a really powerful tool for enabling people to make the shift so I would say build things together would be a summary of how we enable people to change.
0: I like that. So like kind of crossing the bridge from executive leadership and kind of working with everyone and seeing the different perspectives and probably in, if I was to put words in your mouth, coming with a very curious mindset to those collaboration yeah, sessions.
2: And absolutely. And it's that thing of of, it shifts the mindset of the of the of the team, for example, if suddenly your leader is no longer away making decisions <laughs> and you mm. very seldom see them, but to have somebody present with you who's working with you and collaborating and involved in whether you're making a PowerPoint deck or whether you're making a documentary together, um, you're still working it out together. And so active leadership, I think, is is key to understanding how these changes take place.
0: Absolutely. Paul, anything to add?
1: Well, one part of that I think is confidence. One of the things we found when we were writing the book is that confidence and curiosity are two sides of the same coin. They're completely interlinked. You don't, And we, we sort of wondered, do you, do you start a journey by being curious and therefore you build your confidence or do you need confidence in order to be curious? I don't think we solved it because they go together. But one mm-hmm. of the things we discovered was that what, what really builds confidence is not knowing that you can do something and you practice it and you do it well and you're successful. That's not actually where the confidence comes from. It comes from knowing that you can fail and knowing that you can cope on what to do when things go wrong. And the way to build up into that we found is as climbers learn to say, climb up a rock wall, or if they want to climb up a mountain in the end, the uh, the best way to do this is not to climb up pretty high and then, worry about falling off but to build in the chance to climb up a meter and fall back climb up two meters and safely fall back so that you know what it's like to fall and that allows you to have the confidence to go higher and it's building that confidence in to your practice and building those small failures into your practice is what builds the confidence in being more curious in your book
0: i love that i think is that one of you said letting people fail earlier and that's been very common in um, like tech lingo, like oh, like don't have the fear of failure. That's where innovation comes from. However, in practice, usually not a great experience for most people. And because the failure is is from the top of the mountain down, and not and for leaders to not create those kind of meter by meter moments where the failure is is retrievable. It doesn't put any of the business at risk or put anyone's jobs at risk in some cases. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great, great analogy.
1: And nobody wants to expose themselves no. in front of their peers to say, I was the guy that tried mm-hmm. and failed. And we talk about
2: high impact, low volume failure. You don't want that. You don't want one big failure, which breaks the bank. Yeah. What you want is, um, a low impact, high volume failure, lots of little failures that lead you, uh, towards a direction which is very much the way that you know planes fly and, and stabilize in the air and so on um or boats stabilize in the water they they have lots and lots of little stability changes which allow them to create a smooth flight
0: and i think on the flip side of this if someone does put their you know neck out and try something new and they fail quote unquote or we could say they learned something um, and the leader really reprimands them publicly, They've, that leader has killed any chance of anybody right. kind of taking a risk in the future.
2: There's a great example from Capital One, the, the bank when that was evolving very fast and very, very powerfully. Uh, and they, they embarked on a kind of innovation game where they allowed people to go down routes and explore different ideas. And one of their managers had spent the money and invested and tested an idea, but very quickly came to the conclusion that this was no way, that no way this was going to fly. And so pulled and killed the program. And at their big all-hands meeting, the boss at the time brought that person onto the stage mm. and said, well, well done. Uh, because even though um, you, you failed and even though you, you pulled the program, what you did was uh, really create an opportunity for evolution in the bank. Wow. And that became... Uh, really demonstrable within that culture, and they evolved very, very quickly with people feeling safe enough to make those kinds of decisions
0: amazing that is that's really something I mean these yeah. small moments really can like that moment of just rewarding that risk yeah. sh- can shift the whole culture of the bank for the uh,
2: exactly the really brave, really powerful
0: so here's one thing I know about managers' leaders, especially working right now is there's a lot of uncertainty. I think we're all kind of feeling a bit tired. Uh, Some of us have been working a lot more than usual because in response, others have been working a lot because they might have lower resources. Um, I think people are stressed, feeling a little bit of overwhelm. How do you stay curious or build a curious um, muscle when you're feeling kind of low vibes?
1: That's a really good question. Um, it's easy to think, yeah, let's just be curious. Let's approach it with a, <laughs> a curious mind. And, you know, research says, if you just approach this really boring topic, curiously, you'll learn better. Yeah. <laughs> easy to say. Um, so in, in the book, Garrick mentioned this already, we have these seven C's of curiosity and I think they, yes, can sort of provide a, a guide as to how to, orchestrate or construct being curious, but they can also be a, almost a checklist or an audit of um, what's getting in the way of being curious. So, you know, for example, if it's, is, is it confidence, You know, is it that you need to do something that just builds your confidence, even if it's not connected to the topic, but something else, where's the stress coming from? Is the stress coming from information overload, too much stuff to do? Okay, that maybe it's about curation, another one of the C's. Is that about organising the work? Is it just about bringing more focus into what you're doing? Um, perhaps about changing your state, you know, um, doing some exercise. Um, or perhaps it's just, and this is one thing that we, you know, really try to remind ourselves to do each day, is to be intentional about being curious. Um, and really see it as, I think, as you just said, Julian, use it as a muscle that you can deploy, um, in the things that you do, not something that you just hope happens serendipitously.
2: We had a wonderful conversation with Susie Collier, who's a professor at the uh, Royal Academy of Music. And um, she's also the mother of the musician Jacob Caleb Collier. And if you Google Jacob Collier, you'd see the amazing things he's been doing, and Quincy Jones picked up on the so on Incredible musician. And we were interested in talking to Susie because she really has an understanding of how to work with young people and how to create an environment in which they're able to excel. And she has incredible insight into not only language, but also being um, focused and also energetic, as well as being aware of where you are in your process, especially when you're making music, for example. And one thing she talks about is, is completely changing your context. If you're stuck or if you're tired, you just get out of that context. And, instead of trying to play a passage of music over and over again to stop and go for a walk, which kind of seems um, like, you know, common sense, but it's something we forget to do. I mean, I, I myself, I'm, I'm a musician and I play the piano and I'm a composer and, and all those kinds of things. And one of the things I found when Paul was talking about changing your state, uh, one of the things I have found um, more and more is that if I just stop when I'm trying to solve a a difficult problem or faced with too much stuff and maybe slightly overwhelmed um one of the best things to do is to learn a new piece of music so um i i'm a, i'm an improviser and i love to improvise but that's easy for me but to sit down and learn some Bach or some Chopin or something is something that requires more effort what it also does is like completely changes my brain state it takes me to a place where I'm learning, it takes me to a place where I have to be humble and figure things out and be, you know, intentional about stuff. But I often find that having learned a new piece of music, the problem I was trying to solve starts to solve itself as well. So there's this very interesting um, relationship between trying to problem solve and and actually doing something completely outside of the area that you would um, that you try to problem solve, which is which is irrational, but it seems to work.
0: It's funny how once you seem to let go of the problem, the solution ends up showing up on its own. Yeah. So one of the values that over time is um, being practical, and I think you've both shared uh, a lot of you know practical application for how listeners can. Bring more curiosity into their work. Do you have any other takeaways um, for our listeners on how they can stay a bit more curious in work or in even in their day-to-day lives?
1: Well, uh, first thing we would always recommend is read our book, <laughs> uh, <laughs> The Curious Advantage. <laughs> the Curious Advantage
2: <laughs> available all on Amazon. How to
1: learn yeah, learn all about how to sail the seven seas of curiosity. I think there's loads of really practical um, tips and things to do there.
0: Great. That's I think I really enjoyed the book. And um, I want to thank you both for spending the time today to talk it through. I wish you the best of luck with the Curious Advantage and everything you're doing with the Ludic Group. Thank you so much for your time today.
2: Thank you, Jillian. It's been brilliant.